Welcome to New Life Baptist Church, where we grow in relationships, grow in discipleship, and grow in Jesus Christ. We invite you to join us in our study of parables in the Gospel of Luke. These are stories Jesus used to apply the Gospel truths to the lives of Christians. So we ask you subscribe, join in, so that you don't miss a single Sunday. Heavenly Father, we come to You in Your Word. Lord, we ask that You meet us there, that You reveal Yourself there, that we experience You. Father, we pray that that we're able to look at this passage of this story concerning the Good Samaritan Lord, that we would learn from it and and learn how we might pattern our lives with this character of mercy. Lord, and ultimately we look this morning that You would show Your mercy to us. Lord, each one of us here has sinned throughout this week in our deeds, in our words, in our thoughts. We look to You only in hope of Your mercy that You would look upon us in favor. Lord, some here may not have trusted in You fully, realizing that it is in Christ alone that we're saved. We look to Your mercy that You would accept them as children today. And Lord, even as we seek to worship You, we realize that we are such imperfect beings who are looking again to Your mercy in the context of Your Word. And so Lord, we pray You make Yourself known by way of of this mercy and that You pattern Your children in this same way making them fully in the image of Christ. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. So the Good Samaritan. It's a familiar story, and and that's one of the the joys that I have in, in teaching through some of this is that so many of these stories are familiar to us, and it gives us a basis that we can work through and dig a little deeper. But like I said, uh, a parable is really told in context. If it's if it's a story that's told to make a point, we've got to know what is the original question. And so beginning, that's why we began at, at verse 25, looking at the man who sought to tempt Jesus. We look at his question. And so first at verse 25, you'll notice I've included in the outline the verses as we walk through this almost verse by verse, looking at the context here, we learn something from this. This question, namely, what is it that I must do to inherit eternal life? That's the question, isn't it? 
He's talking about salvation. He's really touching on something that we all are concerned about. Even as we enter into relationship with Christ, we want to know how it is that we behave in such a way and we continue this journey so that we're gladly received into eternal life. But this question is a rhetorical question. Now I've heard that term used, rhetorical question, before. And, and, and being raised, you know, as, as a youth, when I heard that, I thought that was just a question you knew the answer to. But it's a little bit more than that. Rhetoric is really the entire way in which a conversation or even a, uh, a skill set or, or a, or a uh, pattern of learning is framed. It's got rhetorical value. There's a purpose in his question even. Honestly, we find the man wanted to justify himself. First, look at who's asking the question, a certain lawyer. Now, this isn't one who's going to petition the public courts or in a Roman court or in a United States court representing the Constitution. This is a lawyer, one who knows the law of God. That's the law of which he's a lawyer. And we know that because Jesus says, hey, what does the law say? And he references the law of God. So this is a man who evidently makes his living or spends his time in study of the law of God and he is setting up this question in order to justify himself. And we'll talk a bit more about that here momentarily but we see this question even has a purpose. He's got a different initiative in asking this question from the beginning. Now look at the way Jesus responds, his immediate response. We've got the Son of God teaching. Indeed, this is going to have implications in the way that we behave and how we respond to those around us. And yet, how does Jesus respond? Like He so often does, He points him to the Word of God. I say the Word of God, He points him to the law. How is the law given? Lucky for us, we just went through a study in Exodus, we know this is the Word of God. The Ten Commandments especially were written directly by the finger of God. This man was well acquainted with them. And Jesus simply says, you're a lawyer, what does it say? Look to the Word. How is it that you interpret these things? There's a point to be made in that. Seeing that the Word is the authority. The law has not been abandoned. Jesus seeks to clarify the teaching that they already had. Moving further, the conversation continues setting up this parable. We still haven't even gotten to the parable. The man answers something profound. We know this is great because this is even the way Jesus Himself interprets the law. We love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind. And then love thy neighbor as thyself. You see, that is no new commandment. That is an interpretation of the commandment that already was. This is a wonderful interpretation. The man certainly was knowledgeable. Jesus says, yes, you have it. That's it. In that, the law is fulfilled. Go and do it. What's the problem? 
He seems to know the heart of the man because he responds, willing to justify himself. He asks another question. Who is my neighbor? This is important. Willing, desiring to justify himself. He asks this question. You see, the reality is, is for this man, he doesn't really care about his neighbor in this question. He cares about himself. He's looking back to how must I get these things, not how must I love my neighbor. You know, often... We've been confronted with that question. I find it ironic as we even come to answer the question, how is it that we love our neighbor? Have we truly asked the question out of consideration of our neighbor? Are we really concerned with those brother and brothers and sisters as we think of how we might love our neighbor within the context of the church? Are we really concerned with our neighbor as we see those who have, who have died that have been in our prayers? Thinking of Terry from the mill, thinking of the Bill Early family and some of these others that are on our prayer list that you should have received this morning. Are we concerned for our neighbor as those or meeting alone by themselves and apart amid our current situation. And I don't want to insinuate or imply any such thing, but I want to guard us because what we see whenever we begin to study this parable of the Good Samaritan, we're not, Jesus isn't telling a story that's concerned with how you get to heaven. He's concerned with how it is that the body of Christ is supposed to be characterized with their concern how it is that the body of Christ, those believers, those children of God, those Christians, how it is that they should be looking beyond themselves. And he reveals, frankly, with his story, he speaks to the one who is selfish and more than this, self-righteous. And with that, he jumps into the parable. And we read, just to recap here, a certain man, we don't know the nationality of the man, we don't know, we don't know his standing, we don't know his background, we don't know his stature, we know nothing about the man. He goes down from Jericho, goes down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now what helps us in some of this is the geography. Whenever we study these things, it really helps us to know the situation because we're not talking about Israel. We're not in, we're not in uh, this, this agricultural land along the river. Uh, we're not amid the row crop. We're not in Kansas anymore. We're in a rocky territory, a mountainous terrain that he would go along that. And in my mind, I'm thinking of those great visuals that are given to us in all the great westerns. And as I think about some of my favorites, John Wayne, Clint Eastwood, uh, and, and whoever else you might think of, you know, it just doesn't have the same, 
the same effect if you take away the rocks and the cliffs and the nooks and the crannies where the thieves would always hide. That was true. These people listening to this parable would know the geography. They would understand this is something that any traveler along that way coming from Jerusalem to Jericho, boy, they ought to have been prepared for those thieves and robbers that always hide among those clefts. And so that helps us to understand the either maybe the lack of preparedness of this man or, or maybe even the scenario in the response to this man. So whenever Jesus moves on and He begins to say, this man obviously, this is not the point of the story. This isn't something that's, that's really revolutionary that a man would be robbed among these cliffs. So this just simple fact of the matter, it comes to pass as part of historical, uh, not narrative in this, but this supposed theor theoretical historical truth that Jesus is proposing. A man is mobbed on his way, and now he begins to describe the passers-by. Now this is interesting. Because so often when this parable is told, we jump right to the conclusion, to the word Samaritan. Immediately we hear people say, well this is about race, this is about ethnicity, or origin, or, or some other uh, issue compared to racism or something else. Interestingly, I really don't find that the center of this message. The first group, Jesus illustrates with two identities that really share in a similar group. But it's not that with their nationality or anything in particular, but it's those of the religious, the religiously pious is what I've included there on the outline. The religiously pious in verse 31 and 32. First, there was a priest that came down the way. He passed by on the other side. This isn't a revolutionary fact either. It doesn't seem to be the point of the passage. In all honesty, Jesus doesn't seem altogether condemning of this priest. We already know this is a dangerous path to walk down that maybe someone ought to be prepared and perhaps brisk, doesn't need to burden himself. But when you're talking about a priest, perhaps the man was even concerned with his own vows before God to remain clean and to not enact, you know, be uh, engaged with whether it be blood or, or, or people, unclean people or something else. Who knows? It's not the main point. But it's a detail I think we should look at. It was important enough for Jesus to, to include. So he looks at a priest, which seems to be, the, these are the, the, the most religious of their society. And then he takes a step back and he says, well, now even a Levite, this is from whom the, the, the tribe from whom the priest would come. He says, well, now a Levite comes. And he really responds in the same way. What's interesting is, is, if we take a moment of pause and we ask ourselves, who was Jesus talking to? A man of the law, a lawyer of God's law, a studier of God's Word. Who is it that you think this man would identify himself with in the parable? And we've got to be careful. 
as we apply this parable, who is it that we identify ourselves with this morning? We like to think of ourselves as, as David's and, and like Jesus and, and everything else. Well, frankly, we need to be honest and to see those ways in which we've become like the lawyer. We make our business about God's Word and we pass right by the ministry that He gives us. So now, Jesus continues His parable. Now I've termed that different. Not, not necessarily the Good Samaritan. If you look at my outline, it's not simply the Good Samaritan, but a certain Samaritan. Maybe this rang a bell. Maybe there was a racism there because of this. But really, there's not much difference in the race of the Samaritan and the Jew. But a fact of identity, to say the least, because this was a person, this was a, a group out of a tribe to whom the Word of God did not come. This was not Israel. They were apart. Their practices would have been the same. They would have been very assimilated with pagan culture, perhaps. We see engagement elsewhere in Scripture with the Samaritan. Not a lot of time is spent there. And frankly, the man he's talking to is pretty wise because by the end of the story, he doesn't even refer to the man as a Samaritan. But this man does something. Let's look at what he does. He's journeyed and he came where he was. Let's put in context the actions as Jesus explains them. He saw him. He had compassion. Wherever the man was going to was unimportant. He stops and has compassion. So now his eyes turn from his watchful gaze among the rocky terrain in which he would have had to pass coming from Jerusalem directly to Jericho. And he concerns himself with a wounded man. Not only does his watchfulness wane, but now he begins to empty his sacks and, and pull out those things that he brought as he was prepared. He had the dressings and the oil and the wine to dress these sort of wounds and conditions should the same, should he fall victim to the same thing. And so he's emptying this out and he's actually caring for the man, playing the part of a medic, even using of his own resources so maybe he wouldn't have those resources. They're used up if something should happen to him. Then he set him on his, his beast. Presumably that was there to either pack his goods. He probably wasn't riding on that sort of terrain. So he would continue on foot, packing his own luggage that this wounded man would ride upon his donkey or whatever it may be. And he took him to an end and he took care of him. And something we shouldn't skip. And on the morrow, so the next day, he left. He literally took the man in and he didn't set him up and say, hey, I've got you settled. You should be, feel better by morning. He stayed the night with this stranger, dressing his wounds, changing them out, nurturing him all the way to ensure his well-being before he leaves the next morning. And then he goes to the innkeeper and obviously he gives them uh, 
he, he gives them the, the two pence and he tells them to take care of him. And anything beyond this, he can stay as long as he wishes. Anything beyond this, I come back and I will pay for. He doesn't know the stature of the man either. Perhaps the man who was mugged was rich or had provisions elsewhere. It doesn't matter. None of that is the point. We see that, that two pence, maybe it relates to about a day's wage that he's paid already on the part of a stranger. Now we've come to the end and we get to look a little more closely at the teaching. What's the point that Jesus is getting at? He finishes his little story and he asks the question to this educated man, who would you say was his neighbor? Was the wounded man's neighbor? Now whether or not the man was too prideful to admit this was a Samaritan, I think he was knowledgeable enough to know that his neighbor was the one who was neighborly. And so I've included a short phrase there, the point, the pointed statement, the purpose is in the imperative. The imperative is that which is commanded. Imperative is, is a part of a sentence that says go, do, take, whatever. It's a command. It's a part of speech. And we see Jesus give an imperative by the end of this particular parable. It says go and do likewise. Go and be the merciful man. That's the point of this entire thing. Jesus doesn't seem to care about the nationality. He's not talking about a Samaritan anymore. He does not say, go and be like a Samaritan. He does not go say, and he doesn't say to abandon his study of, of God's law. He doesn't say to take part in, in the acts that Samaritan people generally would. I think the obvious point here is to go and show mercy. Go and show mercy. Mercy is our motivator. There's something interesting with this because we could walk away from this still. Still in the beginning with this lawyer seeking to justify ourselves. And think, well, hey, look at this good thing. I remember this week something good happened or, or, or I helped this person who was in need this week seeking to justify myself. I want you to understand something that you should have been able to see in this parable and you should be able to see in the person Jesus Christ. Mercy involves in abandoning yourself. It's not concerned with your image any longer. It's not concerned with just how, how close you think you are in your actions. It involves giving up your image. Giving up your, your things, your material possessions. Giving up your health 
and your well-being, risking it all. So that the gospel is depicted and is preached in word and in deed. You see, because we don't have to go very far. We don't have to play the part of origin or some of these early heresies. We don't have to trip on the, the stumbling block that Chad put out there last week and telling us that, that if we if we overemphasize who is this person and is Jesus one of these, is Jesus the Good Samaritan or, is, or who is that? We don't have to do that. Jesus gives a plain and simple direction. Go and do likewise. Show mercy. When we look at the life of Jesus, He did go and do likewise. Jesus was the man who knew no sin and was made to be sin. Jesus was the one who gave up the comforts and the riches of heaven. Philippians 2 says He emptied Himself. He made Himself nothing. He poured Himself out to take the likeness of men. You see, He went and did likewise. Whenever we really come to grips with the Gospel, we come to understand mercy. Each one of us are here only by the mercy of God. And I think when we realize that we have no stature, when we realize that our pious nature does not grant us a true understanding of the gospel applied in loving God and loving neighbor. Now I think it was right to say some of us can easily trip and and fool ourselves into thinking that we're the religious, religiously pious. We want to be affirmed. And so often the conversations I have, they just want to justify, people want to justify their actions. I want to justify the way that I do church. I want to justify the way that I interpret the gospel. I want to justify the way that I invest my money. I want to justify the way that I protect my, my either investments or that I protect my health. I want to justify all these things to show that I align with the gospel. Me. And frankly, whenever I look at this, in reality, I feel like I, if I pick out who I am in that, I'm that wounded and broken person. And so are you. And we need the mercy of Jesus Christ. And He shows us. He lives through us. He equips us to go and do likewise. To go and show mercy to those around us. Understand the conversation began not in humanitarian aid. Not a simple matter of go and do and give up your belongings or get sick and as you minister to the sick. But this conversation began from the point of salvation. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And so whenever we get real with this passage, 
We have to understand our ministry is greater than monetary or material or physical needs. The church is called to die for the sake of the gospel. It's called to give everything. I don't want you to tell me, Pastor, I gave a lot. You should look at my tithing last year. I don't want you to tell me how you helped this person in need. I want to know the way that you have forsook yourself, the way that you've taken up your cross and followed Jesus. I think this morning we have enough to go on, enough to think about whenever we consider the work of our Savior Jesus Christ, the mercy that we've been showed through Him. I think we know what it means to go and do likewise. I need to give you a checklist. And so as we close in a word of prayer, the only thing that I need you to do, the only check I need you to mark off your list is to look to Christ. Look to Christ. And I'm going to tell you something. If you're not spending yourself in this way, if you don't so love if you don't so love the church, if you don't so love the sick, if you don't so love the poor, if you don't so love the lost that are around you enough to preach the gospel and to spend yourself for them, I promise you, you're not looking to Christ. Don't try. Don't try like the lawyer to convince me that you are. Well, it doesn't concern me. You've got all that you need in this Word of God. Just like Jesus said, go and do likewise. You've already got it. You don't need a pick-me-up. You don't need a to-do list. You need Jesus Christ. Let's close the word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You. First and foremost, God, we thank You that You have made the way. Honestly, none of us in our richest Efforts in following You are not enough to bring the salvation that this man in the parable or before the parable was asking for. You're the only way. Lord, we ask that You equip this church to start following Christ in a real way. Lord, do we begin to see people not, not as nationalities or ethnicities, not that we start dividing people in our society as, as those of a demographic, whether they're poor or whether they're rich or whether they're laid off or whether they're business owners or whether they're black or yellow or brown or purple. Lord, that we wouldn't divide people as Christian or unchristian or pious and not or self-righteous or, or, or those that are uh, whatever. Father, that we would be a people that only sees Christ. I think we have a pattern far greater than the Samaritan this morning in the person of Jesus. Lord, just like all the letters uh, uh, exhort us 
Have this mind among yourselves. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Take part in this gospel which is yours in Christ Jesus. Lord, do we begin to abandon our traditions and the things that we like to do or what we think. And Lord, that we would begin to be a people who dresses the wounds of those broken souls around us who ask the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Father, I pray You would magnify Yourself in the ministry of New Life Baptist Church. That You would make for Yourself a people that's not a people right now. Father, that we would come out with such boldness and with such compassion and with such mercy that this answer would be fulfilled in the minds of so many lost in our community. And in all of this, God, that You would glorify Yourself in us this day because of what You have done through Your Son, Christ Jesus, in the way that You have equipped us this morning by Your Spirit and by Your Word. Father, we're not, we're not sitting waiting. We've already got the tools. We've already got the Word. You've already got Christ and you've already got your spirit. Lord, that you make yourself manifest. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to New Life Baptist Preaching. Our goal is to help you and equip you to serve in the way God is calling you. This is where we grow in relationships, we grow in discipleship, and we grow together in Jesus Christ. We hope that you continue to tune in and to subscribe so that you don't miss a single Sunday.